Good morning, everyone. My name is Jordan. I get to work with middle school and high school students here at Carney E-Free, and I help, also get to help lead the venue at 915. If you've never come to the venue, I invite you to come check it out on a Sunday morning. Um, it's 11 o'clock music. Um, Adrian or whoever is speaking is just on video in there instead of live. And so if you ever um, want to come check it out, we'd love to have you there. Uh, before we launch into our message for this morning, I wanted to give you an update about Restore Ministries and about what we've been doing as a church to partner with them in flood relief. And so yesterday there was a work day for Restore, and we had 70 different volunteers from our church that showed up to help 25 different homes in Gibbon and Wood River as they continue to clean up and um, work their way back from the flood that occurred a couple weeks ago. And along with that, I wanted you to know that our church has received about $5,000 worth of donations um, and money. And we have forwarded that money on to Restore Ministries, and most of it will be going towards buying drywall for people who are redoing their basements after they were flooded and destroyed. Um, also, we received a number of other donations, like Clorox wipes and snacks and things like that for the family, families and the people that were serving. And so thank you if you've served in any way, shape, or form, or if you've donated, thank you very much for helping us show the love of Christ to people that are hurting and in need. Um, also, if you would like to sign up to get more notifications about future workdays, you can go online to carneyefree.com and click on the Restore banner. And once you get there, it'll take you to a spot where you can sign up to get updates about opportunities to serve, as well as if you maybe are here and you're in need of um, help with flood restoration, you can sign up for that as well. Um, and there's be a list that's updated of what we need as far as donations and things. And so thank you for that. Also, if you're ready this morning to do something, you can head out um, into the main foyer after the message and talk to the community engagement kiosk that's out there, and they'll get you connected with Restore as well. So we are in a series called Two Roads. And this series has been looking at the two different roads that exist in life. There's this narrow road that leads to right living in God's kingdom. And there's also this wide road that's easy to find, easy to walk down, but it leads to destruction. And so this morning, we're going to talk about how we can sit on comfort or we can change for the kingdom. And as we begin, I would ask for you to pretend with me that you won a contest at your work. So pretend that you've won this contest, and the prize for the contest is you get to go on a summer vacation anywhere you want. That you are going to leave on Memorial Day, and you get to go anywhere you want until Labor Day. That you can go to the mountains, you can go to the beach somewhere, you can tour Europe, you can go on a road trip, you can live at a lake somewhere, anywhere you want. But the only catch is you have to be gone from Memorial Day to Labor Day. Now because you're going to be gone for so long, you're going to hire some people to take care of your home while you're gone. You're first going to hire a college student to live in your home and make sure that if anything breaks while you're gone, it's fixed. So if the neighbor kids throw a baseball through a window, there's not birds living in your house for two months while you're gone. You don't want that. Then you're going to hire a person to come in and clean. They're going to clean the rooms that the college student's not living in. And so they're going to clean those, make sure they're not collecting dust or getting dirty while you're gone. And then lastly, you're going to hire your next door neighbor's son to mow the lawn and water the lawn while you're gone. You're going to show them where the lawnmower is. You're going to give them plenty of gas to last the entire summer. And you're going to set him up and he's ready to go. So you load up the car and you take off. You're headed wherever you're going, the beach, the mountains, wherever it is. And so now we're going to press pause on your vacation. And I'm going to pray and then we'll launch into our verses for this morning. Father God, I thank you so much 
for this opportunity. And God, I pray and I ask that you would use your word this morning in the lives and the hearts of the people in this room. God, for those who need to be encouraged, God, would you encourage them with your word? And for those that need to be corrected, God, would you correct them with your word? And for those that need to be rescued, God, if there are men and women or children in this room who have not put their trust and their faith in you, God, would you use your word this morning to transform and change their hearts? They might want to follow you and recognize you as King Jesus. God, we thank you for your your love and your goodness, and God, we pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so we are going to look at three groups of people that appear in a passage where Jesus is teaching an audience. And so in Luke 19, verse 11 is where we're going to start. So if you're looking for Luke 19, you can turn towards the back of the Bible. Um, If you land in Matthew or Mark, turn towards the thinner part and you'll find Luke. If you land in John or in Acts or Romans or Corinthians, turn towards the thicker part and you'll find Luke. Luke 19, verse 11. And this is Jesus talking and he's teaching a crowd. And in verse 11 it says, While they were listening to this, he, Jesus, went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So, Jesus is teaching this crowd and he tells them a parable. Now a parable is a story to provide a picture of life, especially in God's kingdom. That he wants them to have a right understanding of what life is like in in God's kingdom. What life is like on this narrow road. That he wants them to understand that and they are misunderstanding something about the kingdom. Now he says the misunderstanding is that they think the kingdom of God is going to appear at once. And what's tied to that is Jerusalem. And he's near Jerusalem, and they think that when he arrives in Jerusalem, he's going to overthrow the government in Jerusalem. And then he's going to place himself on the throne of Jerusalem, and he's going to raise up the Jewish nation to rule underneath him. And then from there, he's probably going to march on to Rome, where he's going to overthrow Rome, and he's going to overthrow Caesar, and then he's going to rule the known world with Israel ruling underneath him. And that's what they're thinking is about to occur, and that's not what's about to occur. That when Jesus walks into Jerusalem, he doesn't walk in to conquer a king. He walks in to conquer sin and death. So he doesn't go to overthrow a government. He goes to overthrow sin's power in the life of people's lives. And so he goes to let them tear the skin off his back with whips. To force a crown of thorns onto his head. To drive nails through his wrists and his feet. And then to watch him suffocate and die on a cross the whole time they hurl insults at him while he dies. This is the purpose of why he's going to the cross. This is why he's going to Jerusalem to free people from sin and death in their lives. To free them from that power. That's the kingdom that he's about to turn upside down. That's the kingdom he's about to install in the world. And so he's saying, you guys are missing it. So I'm going to tell you this story so that you see what's really happening here. And so he goes on and he begins to tell them this story. In verse 12, it says, He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. So there's this nobleman. Now Jesus is represented by the nobleman in the story. And he's saying, I'm going to leave and go and, I'm going to go and become king. And while I'm gone, I'm going to give you a job to do. Now again, Jesus is going to be executed. He's going to die on the cross. They're going to bury him in a tomb. But then after three days, he's going to be resurrected. He's going to come back to life. 
Then he's going to prepare his disciples to take over the church. And then he's going to ascend and go to heaven. And when he ascends, this is him going off to receive this kingdom or be made king. And so he's preparing them what life is going to be like when he's gone. That it's not going to be instantaneous, but it's going to take a while. And so in the meantime, he gives each of them a mina, which is money. Now people disagree, but to the best of my researching knowledge, it's about three months' wages. That each one of these people are receiving three months' worth of wages, but then he gives them a generic command to put to work. Now I say generic because he doesn't tell them specifically what he wants them to do with it. He doesn't say, I want you to take this miner or this money and go over there and I want you to invest it with that guy. Or he doesn't say, I want you to take this money and I want you to go over to this town and buy this good or resource and then come back and sell it in our town. That's not what he does. Instead, he says, here is a resource. I want you to use your creativity and your ingenuity to put it to work. And then when I come back, I'm going to find out what you've been doing while I've been gone. So the first thing that I want us to see this morning as we look at these verses, is that being a follower of Jesus Christ means that we are a servant of Jesus Christ. That there are not two separate categories. That if we are a follower, if we place our trust and our faith in Jesus, if we've surrendered our lives to Jesus, then we become servants. That to surrender to Jesus is to become a servant of Jesus. And so there's not one group of people that are followers and not servants, and another group that is followers and servants. It's not like some hierarchy. There is, if you are a follower, then you become a servant. And so we are the servants. If you put your trust and your faith in Jesus in this story, we are the servants that he is leaving to do a task. Now, I want to give you some more verses to support my claim. So in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's preparing Timothy to um, equip and train more people that are in his care. And he says this to Timothy. He says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, you need to dedicate your life to this book. You need to dedicate yourself to the scriptures, to God's word, so that you will be equipped and that your people will be equipped to be good servants. So he's saying, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a servant of Jesus. Which is why we make every one of our messages based on the Bible. Which is why we beg and plead with you to study this on your own at home so that you will continue to become good servants who know how to be equipped to do the good works God is preparing for us. And then in Revelation 1.1, John is receiving this revelation from Jesus and he is receiving it for the other believers. And it says this in 1.1. The revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So John is saying, I am a fellow servant, and I have received this message from Jesus about what's going to happen in the future so that you, the other servants, will know what's going to take place. So again, he refers to us, the believers, as servants. And so if we put our trust and our faith in Jesus, we have become servants of God. Now, there's a number of ways we can serve in the kingdom. There's a number of ways we can participate in the kingdom. But I unfortunately can't talk about all of those this morning. So I am focusing my efforts on serving inside the church body. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he's telling them about this gift they're receiving to build up the church. And it says in 12, 7, 
Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So he's saying you've received the Spirit. If you've put your trust and your faith, if you surrendered your life to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit has come into your lives. It's transformed your heart. It's beginning to transform your desires to be more like Jesus, to desire the things that Jesus desires. But on top of that, it gives you a gift. It gives you a gift not just for yourself, but for the good of the church body the good of the church family, to build up and equip this group of people so they would become more like Jesus Christ, that we've received this gift to pour our lives out for the good of the church, for the good of God's kingdom, to build and equip people to live in God's kingdom. So the question this morning isn't, am I a servant? That is not the question. The question, that, that, that's already been answered. That if you are a believer, then yes, we are servants. The, the real question then is, am I a faithful servant or am I a comfortable one? That is my focus on serving God and serving his kingdom or is my focus on serving myself? And so let me define comfort because I do not believe that God is against you being comfortable in the sense of having a mattress pad on your bed or a comfortable couch. That, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about when I talk about comfort is, do we avoid sacrificial pain or difficulty or discomfort for the sake of the kingdom? As there are times when I could invest in the kingdom, I could build the kingdom, I could participate in the kingdom, but instead I say, you know, that's going to cost me something, so I'm going to forsake that for my own personal comfort. So I want to give you an example, a couple examples of people in our church, of groups of people in our church, who forsake their own personal comfort at times for the good of the church family. So the first is our worship team. We have a fantastic, amazing worship team. They do such a good job in leading us in worship and pointing us towards Jesus and helping, it, helping us to more easily worship Jesus and to lift his name up and give him honor and glory. But what you may not know about them is that they arrive at 745 on Sunday mornings. And at 7.45, they set up, they get their instruments ready, they begin to practice so that at 9.15, they are ready to lead us in worship. And then the team that's in the venue at 9.15, they come in here at the 11 o'clock service and they lead us in worship at 11 o'clock service. Which means that team is here from 7.45 until 12.30, 1 o'clock most, uh, on the Sundays they serve. And so they are pouring out their lives, saying, I will forsake my personal comfort of sleeping in on a Sunday morning for the good of the church family. That I'm going to pour out my life, I'm going to use my gifts and my abilities and my talents that God has given me to help build up the kingdom here in Kearney, Nebraska. That that is what they're doing. They see this bigger picture, this bigger opportunity that's something far greater than comfort in their life. It is the opportunity to participate in the kingdom. And that's what the narrow road is about. You know, another group of people is our production team. So these are the people that run cameras. These are the people that are behind a soundboard or that run slides so we have words to sing when we sing. Or these are the people that are in the bilingual ministry, helping the bilingual ministry to have those kind of things. And so what they do is not a small thing. It makes a massive difference. So I want to help prove my point by turning off my microphone. Okay, so um, you guys, I, I saw maybe 100, 200 hands, which means because of our production team, 
Because of our amazing production team, there is three to four times the amount of people that are able to understand and hear the message. There are two to three times the amount of people that are able to experience God's word and to get it inside their hearts and their lives so that it transforms and changes them. And then right now, there are people that are watching online that have the ability to watch from their home or a hospital room, wherever it is that they are, because of our production team, because of men and women who say, I'm going to forsake my comfort on Sunday mornings to pour my life out for the good of the kingdom, to help build up and equip people here in our church so the gospel message can be proclaimed. This is why we join in in the kingdom. This is why we use our gifts and abilities. This is why being a servant matters. Now, I, I don't want to um, elevate too much Sunday morning because I know many of you, many of you serve on other nights. And this is not about you need to serve on Sunday morning and only Sunday morning. That many of you have other places around our church where you serve, and that is amazing, and I'm not trying to pull you away from that. But there are people in our church, I believe, who don't have a place. Who are saying, I've been coming for six months, but I, I don't have a place to invest myself, to invest my skills and my abilities. And so I'm going to plead with you this morning. Would you join us in building a community? Would you join us in building a kingdom here, not for the sake of Carnegie Free, but for the sake of God? Would you help us in using your gifts and abilities to invest in people here? So, the question is, am I going to walk down the narrow road of faithful service, or am I going to walk down the, the wide road of self-focused comfort? So now we're going to go back to the parable, we're going back to the story in verse 14. And find out what's happening. So in 14, Jesus says, But his subjects hated him. So this is the nobleman's subjects. They hate him. Some of them do. And they send a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. So there's, this nobleman's going to have authority over a group of people that they don't want him to have authority over them. And so they, they send some people to go and try and prevent him from becoming king. They would say, Don't let this guy be king. Choose somebody else to be king. We don't want this man to be king. And then in 15 it says, he was made king, however, and returned home. So they were unsuccessful. The nobleman becomes king and he returns home. But what I want you to see is that there's a significant amount of time that has passed. We don't know how much time, but it's long enough that he had to travel wherever he was traveling, that there was a process that occurred to make him king, and then he traveled home. And so it wasn't a day or two, it was a significant amount of time that these servants have been using their gifts and their abilities, hopefully, to do what they've been asked to do by the master. And then in the end of 15, it says, Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. So he says, Okay, I gave you this money. I want to know what did you do with it when I was gone. In 16, it says, The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned 10 more. So he says, The money you gave me, I turned it into 10 more. I multiplied it 10 times by what you gave to me. That the three months wages you gave me, I've turned it into 30 months wages. And the master resp responds, he says, well done my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. So he says, because you have been faithful with this little amount that I gave you, this little opportunity, I'm giving you more opportunities to be faithful. Because you were faithful in this area, I'm going to give you more opportunities to be faithful. That he says, I'm going to put you over 10 cities. I'm putting 10 groups of people, 10 cities of people under your care for you to take care of and for you to care for because you have proven yourself trustworthy and faithful. And so faithfulness is rewarded. And then 
The second, in verse 18, it says, The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. So the next servant comes forward, and he says, I turned your mina into five more minas, that I turned your three months' wages into 15 months' wages, to which he gets rewarded with five cities to be trustworthy over, five cities to be responsible for, because he's proven himself trustworthy and responsible. So he says, here, you continue to use your gifts and your abilities to build the kingdom. You continue to use your gifts and abilities to invest, that I'm going to give you more opportunities to serve. And then the third, so this is our first group. Let me say that. So this is our first group of people. I said there was three groups, and the first group are the faithful servants. These two faithful servants came forward, and they're rewarded for their faithfulness. That he recognizes that they were trustworthy and he gives them more opportunities to be trustworthy. But then this third servant comes forward. In verse 20, it says, Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. And so this third servant comes forward and he's got something in his hand. And he begins to unfold this thing, and as he unfolds it, the master realizes it's the mina, it's the money that he was given. And he looks at him, and he says, you are a hard man. And you take out what you did not put in, and you reap what you did not sow, so take your money back. Here it is. So let's press pause there and go back to your vacation. So you're on vacation. It's going great. It's winding down. And so it's Labor Day, you're rolling into town, you get into town, you drive up your street, and as you pull in front of your house, you realize that your yard is two foot tall and it's dead. And your stomach sinks, you get out of the car and you're like, what am I going to find inside my house? So you go up the walk and you put your key in the lock and you turn it and you push open the door, everything's great. You walk over to the counter, there's a key and a note and it's from the college student that says, thank you so much for letting me stay in your house over the summer. I wanted you to know one of the neighbor kids accidentally threw a baseball through one of your windows. I fixed it with his parents' help, and so that's why you have a new bedroom window in one of the bedrooms. So then you look around the rest of the house. All the other rooms are clean. They're ready for you to live in again. But this lawn, what is the deal with this neighbor kid? So you get out your phone. You want to believe the best, and so you call over there, and you say, hey, can you come over and can we talk? And you expect him to maybe come up the walk in a wheelchair. He must have broke his leg or something. And at the very least, you think he's, his head's going to be down and his shoulder's going to be slumped because he did such a bad job. But you look at the window and what you see is his head is high, his shoulders are back, and he struts up the walk to the porch. And you meet him on the porch. And you go, hey, what happened? The lawn is not mowed. And he looks at you in the face and he says, you are a hard man or you are a hard woman. And I know that when you mow, you want your lines to be crisp and straight. I know that when you mow, you go out there and look to make sure every single blade of grass is level. And I just was going to do it, but I thought, man, I wouldn't do as good a job as you're going to do. And so I left the lawnmower, I left the gas in the shed right where you showed me where it was at, and it's right there for you now. You can go mow your lawn. And I've spent the summer sitting in the basement playing video games and drinking sodas with my friends. You would go, are you serious? Like this, this is the response? Like this is the reason why you couldn't do the thing that I asked you to do and you agreed to do? The thing I gave you resources and abilities to do and then you spent your summer thinking about why it was my fault 
that you weren't going to do what you agreed that, we would do, that you would do? This is what the servant has done. Because let's not forget, he's a servant. His job is to do what the master commands him to do, and then the master gave him resources to use. And instead of using the resources, instead of trying to be faithful and trustworthy, he spent, this, he spent that time away focusing on his own personal comfort and then working on excuses why it's going to be the master's fault when he gets back. And so this is what the master responds to him with. In verse 22, his master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. So he says, okay, I'm going to use what you said. Right now, I'm going to use it against you. He says, you knew, did you, that I'm a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? She says, all right, if you really thought I was a hard man, wouldn't you have not worked extra hard because you would have been afraid of my wrath? You would have been afraid of my anger if I was truly such a hard man? It's like, you didn't do any of that because you know I'm not a hard man. And then really, if you thought it wasn't going to be fair that I was going to gain the profits off of my money, like, let's not forget that it was his money he gave. He didn't take the servant's money from him and say, hey, I found this. You go put this to work. Instead, he gave his own money to the servant. He says, I want you. I'm entrusting this to you. I want you to put it to work. He says, at the very least, if you really thought it wasn't fair that I was going to gain off of your work, you could have took my money to the bank. You could have invested my money in the bank, and then all of the interest that I would have gotten would have been mine. But instead, you missed it. And so he's going to correct the servant. In verse 24, it says, Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. So don't miss this. The first servant who was faithful with his one mina and turned it into ten minas, he didn't take the money back from him. He didn't say, Well, you did a great job. Give me all that money. I'm going to invest it myself. He leaves it with him. He says, You've proven yourself faithful. You hold on to that. I'm going to give you more opportunities to be faithful. So he says, because this guy has proven himself faithful, here you have this other guy's mina who wasn't faithful. To which the people in the audience reply, sir, they said he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. So here's what he's saying. He's saying for everyone who has faithfulness, everyone who's proven themselves trustworthy and faithful, they're going to give more opportunities to be faithful. That when they prove themselves faithful, people are going to offer them, God's going to offer them more opportunities to be faithful. But for those who prove themselves unfaithful, who haven't done what they're supposed to do with the little bit they've been given, they're going to lose even that little bit. They're going to be given less to learn faithfulness. And this is how the world works. You think about if you have a son or daughter and you've given them a smartphone, and they have not been trustworthy or faithful with the smartphone, you take away the smartphone and you give them a dumb phone. And you say, you, didn't, you couldn't handle the smartphone, so I'm going to give you something smaller. And once you've proven yourself faithful with that, we'll talk about using the smartphone again. So he doesn't fire the servant. He doesn't say, you don't get to be a servant anymore. But he takes even the minor, even the opportunity he had to be faithful, he takes it from him and he says, here, I want you to try again with something else. And he's going to continue to work with him. And so what we see is that the narrow road of faithfulness is rewarded. And the wide road of comfort leads to God's correction. Now, I know there are so many people in our church, so many amazing people that pour out their lives and serve all over our church. And so what I hope that you see this morning is that you see that your service is making a difference. 
What I hope that you see is that God sees and recognizes your service, and he will honor that with more opportunities to serve. But I know there's probably a few people in our church who have been here for a while and haven't found a place to use their gifts and abilities. They haven't found a place to pour their lives in and say, I am going to forsake my personal comfort sometimes during life for the sake of building God's kingdom, for the sake of participating in God's kingdom. I'm going to do that because I want to be a faithful servant. And so I want you to know this morning, if that's you, we need you. We need you to begin to pour your your resources and your energy and your talents and your abilities and your skills and whatever it is that God's given you, we need you to pour that into the church so that the church will be better equipped to serve and love Kearney, Nebraska. So the question this morning shouldn't be, okay, then, well, how much do I need to do? What's the minimum amount I need to do to get over here? Like, what's the minimum amount I need to do to make God happy? Or what's the minimum amount I need to do to get God off my back? That's not the right question. That's not the right heart attitude. That the first two servants, they just said, I'm glad that I can serve. I want to prove myself trustworthy and faithful. And so the real heart attitude, really what we're looking for this morning, is a heart that says that I want to be more faithful today than I was yesterday. I want to be more faithful tomorrow than I am today. That God, would you, by your power of the Holy Spirit working inside of me, would you help me to be more faithful? Would you help me to become a better servant in your kingdom because it makes a difference? Because it's an amazing opportunity to help participate and build your kingdom in Kearney, Nebraska. So would you help me to forsake more and more of my personal comfort for the sake of the people in our church that don't know you, for the sake of the people in our community that don't know you? So I have a few areas that you could serve, a few areas that you can help. So the first is that we need more guitarists and drummers. So if you play guitar or you can drum, we would love for you to join our team and to help serve in that area. And so if that's you and you can play guitar or you can drum, would you write on your connection card, hey, I can drum, this is my name, this is my phone number, this is my email address, and Matt Demaret will call you this week. And he will get you plugged in. We need more people who run production stuff. We need more people to help run cameras. We specifically need camera operators, which I know the cameras look intimidating. They're big. They have a lot of cords on them. They look like I need to know a lot in order to run these. But let me tell you the truth. 95% of your job is this. That if your hips swivel, you qualify. Like 95% is this. It is following me, which they just have to swivel, and follow me, whoever's on stage. That's 95% of the job. There's a very small amount of focusing, which Eric does an amazing job of teaching you. There's this little like kind of knob thing that you move up and down. So if your thumb or any of your fingers can move up and down and you can swivel, you can help with our production team. And you can make a difference here in Kearney, Nebraska. You can make a difference in our church family by helping more people see the message, by helping more people clearly understand what is being taught from the stage. That it makes a difference. It is not a small thing, the people who sit in the chairs or the people who run slides. It is a big difference they're making for the kingdom. And so if you have that ability, would you please use it for the sake of the kingdom, the sake of the people that come to our church who don't know Jesus? Now here's the good news. The good news is there was once a time we couldn't do any of this. There wasn't once a time every single one of us in this room, we were going to be stuck on this wide road that was going to lead to destruction. All of us were going to be stuck on this road that led towards selfishness, led towards my own personal comfort. But then Jesus Christ marched into Jerusalem. And he let them crucify him on a cross. And he made a way for us to be transformed. He made a way for dead people to come alive. 
And when we put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and begins to transform and change our hearts and our attitudes and our desires. So that more and more of my desires are in line with what Jesus wants in the world. So that more and more of my opportunities are to serve the church, are to pour my life out for the sake of other people. So in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, God is talking and he says, so this is an Old Testament passage talking about what Jesus is going to do on the cross. He says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I remove from you a heart of stone, this heart that's self-focused, that wants comfort at everybody else's expense, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Which means now, when I have these moments of selfishness, when I have these moments where I desire comfort more than I desire service, I can say, God, would you help me? By the power of the Holy Spirit working inside my heart and my life, would you help me to see that there is this bigger opportunity than me getting another hour of sleep? There's a bigger opportunity for me to participate than being able to stay at home on a certain night of the week. God, would you help me have a better attitude? And the Bible says that he will. That he begin to transform and change our hearts. And that's good news because we all need that. We all need to be transformed and changed. So these are the first two groups of people. The first group are the faithful, faithful servants, and the second group are the unfaithful servants. But then there's this third group of people. And these third group of people are the people that tried to prevent the nobleman from becoming king. That these are the people that back in verse 14 said we don't want him to rule over us. In verse 27 we read, this is Jesus talking as the nobleman. He says, but those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them Bring them here and kill them in front of me. These are harsh words. And these are confusing words. Because we read these words and go, wait a minute, Jesus. This isn't the Jesus that I know. This isn't the Jesus who's hanging on a cross and says, Father, would you forgive them for they don't know what they're doing as they gamble for his clothes. So so what's happening here that he's saying, murder my enemies in front of of me, kill my enemies in front of me. What's going on here? So let me explain. In Luke 19, verse 10, the verse right before all of our verses started this morning, Jesus makes this statement. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now Jesus is the Son of Man, and he's saying, My purpose in coming is to seek and to save lost people. It's to come to seek and to save my enemies, to rescue and redeem everybody who would put their trust and their faith in me. I want to rescue them, I want to redeem them, but they have to recognize me as king. That if they will not recognize me as king, I will not rescue them and I cannot rescue them. And so how this works is that all of us in this room or currently were under judgment. That every single time we hurt somebody else, we mistreated somebody else, whether it was with our words or our actions or our thoughts, or we looked to God and we said, you know what, God, I'm smarter than you. I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. Every single time we do that, this wrath gets stored up, this punishment gets stored up. But because God is gracious and kind, he does not pour that out on us right away. He does not execute judgment right away, but instead he lets it build up with the hope that at some point during our life we would recognize how glorious and good Jesus is and we would say, I will follow that king. This Jesus gets to be the king of my life. He gets to be the Lord of my life. And when that happens, we put our trust and our faith and surrender our life to him. That judgment transfers off of us onto Jesus. 
And so when he's executed on the cross, he's taking the wrath and the punishment for every person who would put their trust and their faith in Jesus, who would say, I will follow you as my king, Jesus. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin, the punishment for sin is death. But he says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now the way we receive that gift is by trust and faith in Jesus. It's by recognizing him as king. And so Jesus is saying, I cannot rescue you if you do not recognize me as king. That if you spend your entire life saying, no, I will not recognize you as king. No, I will not recognize you as king. No, 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 no. He's saying there's this day that will come when I'm going to come back and I will not come back as a suffering servant. I will come back as a conquering king. If you've denied me over and over and again, what's going to happen is I'm going to separate you from my people, from the people who put their trust and their faith in me. I'm going to send them over here. But for all those people who have said, no, I will not have a king. I'll be my own king. There is judgment. And he does not want them to experience that judgment. And so he's saying, he's warning them You need to recognize me as king because there is a cost that must be paid if you will not recognize me as king. And he does not want them to pay that cost and we don't want you to pay that cost. And so if you're in this room and you've never put your trust or your faith in Jesus, if you've never recognized him as king, there is no better time than right now to say, yes, Jesus, you can control my life, you can lead my life, you can guide my life. And along with that, this is why service is so important. This is the, why we, the way we serve as servants is so important because people that are lost are coming into our church. And what happens is they don't realize that he's such a great king. But when we serve well, when we pour our lives out well, it begins to give them a better, bigger picture of who Jesus is. And when we do this well, it helps them to see that he is a great and good and kind and gracious king. And it makes it easier for them to say, yes, I want to follow a king that would do that in the lives of people like this. Because what I see is people like me who also needed to be transformed and he's doing something in their life I want him to do in my life. And so this is why the way we matter serves. This is why it matters the way we pour our lives out for the sake of the kingdom. Because there are men and women in Kearney, Nebraska who are going to walk in our church and if we don't love them well, they're going to walk away saying, I will not have that man as my king. I'll be my own king. And so there's a, I don't know for a fact that this occurs, but in the nursery, one of the areas I skipped over earlier, I want to go back to it really quickly, is in the nursery. We have amazing nursery volunteers. They take care of your kids, they take care of the infants and the toddlers and the babies, and they do a fantastic job. But we have a number of families in our church, and we love families here. But we have so many families that there are sometimes we don't have enough volunteers to take all the kids that want to be checked in. And so what happens is there's these moments where people try to check in their kids and we have to say to them, I'm sorry, we can't take your kids. That we don't have enough adult volunteers to watch your kids safely and so we're going to have you keep them today. Which what that conveys to them in that moment is that they do not matter and there is no space for them here at our church. What it means to them is that we are full up here And you need to go find someplace else to hear about this king. 
And so this is why it matters that when we serve well, when we can take their kids and say, let me care for them, let me love them, why you hear the message, why you get to go and hear about how Jesus has rescued and transformed and he wants to do that for you, we make it easier for them to turn their lives over to this King Jesus. And so this is why we need more people who are not serving to join ministry teams. This is why we need more people to join us in building a transformational community by growing in love with Christ and all people. That is our mission statement here at E-Free. Our mission is that we would build a transformational community, a community where people would be transformed and rescued by the beauty of the gospel. That they would begin to grow in love with Jesus, but then the rest of the people in our community, not just Christ followers, but people that are lost like we once were, they would say, I will pour my life out for them because I want to see them know Jesus as rescuer and savior and king. And so if you're here and you will have a place to serve, we would love for you to join us in serving. Let me pray. Father God, God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he makes this possible. God, that we confess to you that we, apart from him, could not do any of this. And God, we thank you for his life and his death. We thank you for his resurrection, God, that we have hope for the future. And God, I I thank you again. I praise you for the number of people that pour their lives out in our church. And God, I pray that they would hear, um, God, that you you recognize that and you reward that and you're gonna give them more opportunities to serve. And God, for those people that haven't found a place to serve, God, would you help them to join in in serving? Would you help them to find a place to belong, find a place to pour their life out for the sake of building your community, not for Carnegie Free, but the sake of the kingdom that more people would hear, more people would know that you were Lord and you were King. And God, I just pray again for all those people, God, that have walked in here today that don't know you. God, would you please, would you please use the words of this parable, God, to help them to see that you are a good King. You are a gracious King. You're not a hard man, but you are a generous, kind, good King who loves his people well, and you would love them well if 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 they would surrender to you. God, we pray this all in your Son's name. Amen.